the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Jake Beckett is my guest. When you see his name, you'd think it was Beckett, but it's pronounced Beckett. I'll ask him why that is. You may recognize him because he has a Super Bowl ring with the Patriots, even though he didn't play all that much, but he was a defensive end. He was also a United States Army infantry officer. He served in Iraq. He ran for office out of the state of Arkansas. He is a very interesting young man. He was a college football All-American. Um, and I think he's someone you're going to see a lot of in the future. He's got some very interesting impressions of the world, having traveled it broadly, and very interesting perspectives on sports, the military, America, women's sports, the Supreme Court. It goes on and on. He's an interesting guy. Stay tuned for Jake Beckett. Welcome to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Jake, welcome. It's great to see you again. One of the things that I noticed right away about your name, and people mispronounce it all the time, they want to say Jake Beckett, but it's Beckett. How did that happen? That's a great question. Uh, you can blame <laughs> my ancestors uh, who came over from France with that name. Uh, I, I'm sure they had the opportunity to anglicize it, um, to change it from. So apparently Beckett is a pretty common name in France. Um, it was anglicized by some to C-K-E-T-T. Um, but I guess right. that's where I get my my stubbornness from. Uh, we just went with with Beckett, uh, with the original spelling, and it confuses everyone. But hey, it's a good it's a good conversation starter. There you go. Uh, so now we know your ancestors came from France. Um, and of course, Jake, just a very, very très Francois. I don't even know if I said that right, but very French name. No, I know it's short for a bunch of stuff, but let's, I, I wanted to get that out of the way because I've seen people mispronounce it. And I remember hearing it as Beckett and thinking, wow, it doesn't look like Beckett, but there you go. Um, Tafoya gets mispronounced all the time too. You have such an interesting background, and uh, I, I want to start with the moment that you ran, not moment, but the time that you ran for Senate. What drove you, Jake, after being a, a pro football player, um, serving in, in the military to, to run for office? Yeah, well, I was just coming out of the military in early 2021, and obviously that was right after uh, all the events of 2020, uh, the pandemic, the lockdowns, the riots. I mean, that really was a, a turning point in our country uh, in a lot of ways. It really affected uh, so many things in our culture. And uh, in my mind, it just showed um, you know, a real breach between a lot of the established uh, restrictions on government. I mean, just the way they were able to lock everyone down and keep everyone in their homes and uh, open certain businesses, close certain businesses. Um, you know, so that was a that was a big driving motivation for me. Um, you know, I, I always wanted to serve. That's that's part of the reason why I joined the military. Um, and then I saw an opportunity to serve uh, in, in political office and run. And, you know, in Arkansas, um, you know, there's it's a small state. There's not a lot of open seats in Congress. So uh, you either have to wait your turn or, or, or try to uh, try to knock the door down. I, I chose for the latter. 
you know, we were unsuccessful, but, you know, ultimately it was a great experience and uh, got to meet some amazing people, uh, had a great team around me. And, um, you know, I, I have no regrets. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the future. But that was my, my primary motivation was really what happened in the country, uh, you know, what I saw in the military, uh, you know, leading into to early 2021. And that was really my decision point. Your time in the military is fascinating to me as well, um, because this comes after you were part of another team, which was the New England Patriots. You have a Super Bowl ring, as I mentioned in the intro. You 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 go from one team to to entering another. The military is quite different, however. But some people look at the military today and wonder if it's on the right track. We're losing recruits in certain branches. Um, there are, you know, these accusations of it becoming a little too woke for lack of a better term. What did you see, Jake? You know, I I think those, those concerns are, are, are justified. Uh, you mentioned the recruiting crisis that's happening right now. That's undeniable. Um, a lot of guys that I serve with, um, you know, are, uh, have either done a stint in military recruiting or are in it now. And, and they say it's, it's even worse than what's reported, um, really, what you're seeing is you're seeing, you know, the, the backbone of the military are multi-generational uh, military and veteran families. Um, you know, I, I did not come from one. I'm really the the first one in my immediate family to to, to serve. But, um, you know, I, I would say that most of the military are these, uh, you know, second, third, fourth generation military families. You know, that, that's just what they do. Um, but what we're seeing now, and, and this is a, a pretty recent development, is you're seeing a lot of these multi-generational families um, you know, the, the newest generations are, are not really wanting to go in. Uh, in a lot of cases, they're, they're being discouraged from joining uh, by, their, by their fathers or their grandfathers who served and are, are seeing what's happening inside the force right now. And uh, you, you mentioned a lot of the, the political, cultural changes. Um, you know, the, the military, ultimately, it's, a, it's an arm of the government. It's a, it's a political institution. It's not supposed to be, but the reality of it is that it is. Um, and so, you know, it might be able to resist uh, some of the most wild, um, you know, left wing transformations that the rest of the country has undergone, but it, it can't resist all of them. Um, and so I just think what you're seeing is, um, you know, a lot of these just backbone military families, um, you know, are, are deciding to do other things. And, you know, that has very serious ramifications for our country's national security, uh, the culture of the military um, and, and just the, the, the short to medium term future. Uh, you know, of our national defense. I often think, is the toothpaste out of the tube and we're, we're, there's no going back? And I wonder with the military, because it is a, a unique st- structural uh, entity, can it, you said it can't resist all of the left-wing nuttiness that we're seeing in the world, um, but it, is there a way it can say, you know what, this is the military. We're we're responsible for national security. We cannot have this stuff infect our troops. And when I say infect, I I, I kind of mean that in the literal sense. It's it's as though like like you said, it's it's having an impact. It's changing the nature of the military. Is that something that can be turned around? I'm not sure if it can be reversed. Um, if if I were to give an optimistic view of it, um, I would say, well, I mean, it, it is true that really there's really there's two militaries. Um, so just kind of bear with me on this. There's um, there's kind of the the, the normal forces, um, and, and you know that's you know, there's millions of military personnel. They're what we call support. 
um, you know, people who are not really in combat roles. Uh, and then you have the other part of the military, you know, which are the real trigger pullers. Um, and at the top of that, at the top of that um, section of the military, uh, you know, have the, the, the elite of the elite, you know, the people who you think of the, the special operations forces, those under SOCOM, you think about Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, Green Berets, um, you know, the Air Force PJs, you know, people who are, you know, really at the tip of the spear. Um, I, I will say that those, you know, those areas of the military um, are, are somewhat cordoned off uh, from the wokeness just because it's, it's so hard to, to make it through the training, um, you know, to become one of those elite warriors um, that, you know, there's really no room for that kind of political nonsense. Um, so there's kind of an element of self-selection. Um, and then there's an element of just, you know, weeding out um, through the actual training itself. Um, so I, I will say that the good news is that, you know, it's it's almost impossible for, um, you know, some of the, the worst elements of our culture to, to, to drift in to those segments of the military. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the, the government and the culture are coming after them in other ways. You know, we saw with uh, with the vaccines and, you know, but the mandates that happened, you know, we lost we lost a lot. Um, of our most elite warriors in the military because of those mandates. Uh, you know, the, the government now, the, the DOD is trying to cover their tracks and, um, you know, allow people to, to be, you know, formally discharged for different reasons other than being drummed out for, you know, refusing to take the vaccine. So, you know, it, it is, you know, it's, it's, it's very troubling, um, you know, but I, I will give a word of optimism to say that, you know, there's still some incredibly uh, faithful and talented and patriotic uh, people, you know, in uniform, uh, it's just a, you know, typically it's a, it's a very small percentage right at the very top, right at the very tip of the spear, the elite, um, you know, where you see a lot of the, 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 the politics and the, and the social and cultural changes, you know, that's really in the, um, you know, the, the support and the, and the, you know, millions of other troops who are there uh, in supporting roles. Okay. Well, that, that honestly does make me feel a little bit better. <laughs> um, what you've seen lately in the wake of October 7th and our our stations around the world, particularly in the Middle East, these drone attacks, various attacks on our bases um, and, and a very tepid response, Jake. It, 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 a lot of people are very bothered by this, that we are not showing that kind of strength that begets peace, strength that tells our adversaries back off. Are, are, how much can you say in your position about what you're seeing and what you think should be happening? Well, I think you're exactly right. And, you know, we've, we've talked about it on the air, um, you know, on the, on the show that we did on, on Fox news a, a while ago. Um, you, you know, that, that what we're seeing from this current administration, from the Biden administration, you know, we, they do project weakness uh, internationally. You know, I, I was deployed to Iraq uh, in 2019, you know, under the prior administration, under President Trump. And, um, you know, this isn't political. This is just objectively true. You know, we were right there, um, you know, in a pretty hot area in, in northeastern uh, Iraq and the Kurdistan, you know, Mosul area. And we were we were very, you know, we were close uh, to a lot of people who wanted to do us harm. Um, but there was no doubt in our mind that, you know, if the worst were to happen to us or to one of my troops, uh, one of my fellow soldiers, um, that there would be swift retribution um, because, you know, whatever you want to say about President Trump, uh, our enemies knew that he meant business, um, you know, and he proved that time and again, you know, during his time in office. And, you know, we're, we've seen, um, you know, a, a bit of a change, you know, with, with Joe Biden, um, you know, with 
the way the Afghanistan withdrawal went down. You mentioned these un, uh, you know, unresponded to attacks on our military bases. Um, you know, you, you, there's there's myriad examples, um, you know, of our enemies becoming more aggressive on the international stage, uh, even picking on American troops because they know that, you know, the commander in chief uh, does not mean business. And, you know, that, that makes it makes America less safe and it makes the world by extension less safe as well. I would agree with that. Just I have no military background, just observationally. It feels as though, you know, the, 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 where the, the source of strength in this country is supposed to emanate from the White House. And it feels like there's nothing coming out of there, nothing coming out of there regarding the border, nothing coming out of there regarding the these attacks uh, through the Middle East. It's it's very frustrating. And I just you know, I wonder if you could could talk a little bit. And, and I hope this isn't too much of a stretch. But when you play for an NFL team, as you did. Um, is are, are there similar are are there similar sentiments of you have to exude a certain kind of of strength in order to to win a game to 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 let your opponents know this is going to be tough absolutely uh, i'm a big believer in the notion that leadership is not domain dependent you know leadership is still leadership you know you and i both have a a sports you know background being in the in the sports world um, you know, and then I, I went from there to the military and I can just tell you from having a foot in both worlds, um, you know, leader, leadership is really at the end of the day, that's what matters. You know, it, it matters who your head football coach is at the college and professional level. Uh, and it matters who your leaders are. You, you really can't overcome poor leadership. And the flip side of that is that, you know, great leadership, it, it makes it almost impossible for you not to succeed you know, whether on the football field or, or on the battlefield. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's something that, you know, that's a lesson that I've tried to impart to people, uh, you know, given my experience. Um, you know, I, I think that a, a great, this, this might sound a little bit wild, but I think it's, it's 100% true. I think a great, a great football coach at the college or pro level, you know, could very easily be a great military leader and vice versa. I think a great military leader would be a great football coach at the high school professional uh, or co collegiate level. And it, it, there are examples of this in our history, you know, General Neyland, uh, you know, who was, a, I think, a World War One or World War II veteran. Um, he came back and was the head football coach at the University of Tennessee. They named the stadium after him, uh, General Neyland yes, Stadium right did. there in, in, in Knoxville. So, you know, there are a lot of parallels um, between those yeah. forms of leadership, you know, and that's, that's at the end of the day, that's what matters. That's what you have to cultivate. Um, and you, you know, really, you're just, you're always going to be behind the eight ball. if You don't have great leadership at the top. Right. Right. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I I've sat in so many meetings with coaches. I, Mike Tomlin could get me to run through a wall. You know, <laughs> that, that it's, he's just, he's got that way about him. I could say that about a number of coaches, but he comes to mind right away um, as being one of these people that just, you don't think when you're sitting in a room with Mike Tomlin you don't think there's a question that you could ask him that he will not have the answer to and it's thought out and it's smart and it's uh it, it's just he is he's a remarkable guy i don't know how much time you've ever spent with him but he is he is he comes top of mind to me as a guy who is a leader extraordinaire but there are many of them and players as well i mean alejandro villanueva was was in the armed services as well uh one of my favorite players 
the the thing about pro sports that always seems to me to be exemplary is the way that people get along within a team. Now, that's not to say that you won't have bad apples and you won't have, you know, a cancer on a team or a disruptor or that kind of thing. But it, I, I, one of the things I, Amy Trask, who used to be the general manager of the Raiders, um, is a friend of mine. And we have agreed on this, that when you go inside a locker room, you don't see race, right? You see teammates. When you're out there playing on the football field, you see teammates. This started to change a little bit with Colin Kaepernick and 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 players wanting to involve themselves in social justice justice, which I understand. But how would you describe? I, I'll just throw it out there: race relations in an NFL or a college locker room. Well, so my, my NFL career ended before um, the, the all the Kaepernick business, um, so I, I really can't speak to what's happening now or relatively recently. But I, I can just give you my own experience. Um, you know, race relations were were very good on my college team at the University of Arkansas, and then in my professional team with the New England Patriots. And you know, we were both winning programs. You know, and the the old saying is that winning. Uh, you know, makes up for a lot of ills. And that's certainly true. That was probably an element of it. But, um, you know, sports, I think, has always had a very special place in our society and our culture, because it really represents the best of American values. You know, people of different backgrounds, different races, different creeds, perhaps, um, you know, coming together to strive towards a common goal. Um, you know, Americans have always prized excellence. You know, we always want to win. We always want to be the best. You know, we always want to dominate. You know, that's why, you know, I love all the American sports championships. You know, they're called world champions, um, you know, because we, mm -hmm. we see ourselves as the greatest in the world. And that kind of excellence um, is something that is deep in our national identity. Uh, and that's why Americans love sports and they love to see people compete at the highest level. And that's why I think there's this great connection between the culture of America um, and college and professional sports teams. And at least when I was there and, you know, at its best, you know, obviously there, there's going to be problems and there's going to be some, you know, bad apples, you know, one or two, you know, inside the bunch. But, you know, on the whole, you know, everyone, we're always kind of rowing in the same direction. Um, you know, it's a pretty egalitarian culture inside a locker room. Um, you know, you, you know, it, it, people, the, the real currency, I, I tell people this all the time, the currency, you know, inside an NFL locker room and a college locker room, the currency is respect. And the way you get that respect is by your performance. It's not by, you know, you know what your last name is. It's not by your background. It's not by, you know, your draft position or, or how highly you were recruited. It's about your performance and what you bring to the team. And, you know, the, the, more, the more you perform on the field, the, you know, the more respect you have and the more respect you earn in that locker room. And, you know, I think that's, that's what's greatest about American culture, you know, just theoretically, we're not always perfect and this doesn't always manifest itself, particularly not these days, you know, but ultimately, you know, you want to have a, a society, um, you know, that is meritocratic, you know, where people are, you know, evaluated based on, you know, they're not just, you know, what they, you know, their background or, you know, what, you know, what happened before them, you know, but what they've done, um, you know, for their, you know, for their businesses, their, you know, families, uh, their communities and their country and, um, you know, I think that's why Americans always love sports. I agree with that. I, I love watching fans interact. And so often you see fans who've never even met, uh, you know, sitting next to each other at a Super Bowl and their team scores and they're hugging each other and they're high fiving each other. And it doesn't matter how much money the other guy makes, where they're from, what their last name is. 
they're cheering for a, a common, a, a common, you know, uh, their, their team. And so the, it's, it's, it has brought people together. Um, and that's kind of been my fear about what has taken place because some people have said, how can any of these athletes sort of turn their back on American values when they're playing this game and they're making all this money and they're enjoying this, this fame and, and, you know, this is what they do for a living and they won't stand for the flag. Now, I think some of that has dissipated and I hope that's the case, but I, you know, we saw it. I was, I was covering the NFL when all of this started and when it continued to happen and we saw a dip in ratings, we saw people saying, I'm, I'm not a fan anymore. And it wasn't insignificant. It was important. Um, but I, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that part of us heal because this is where we do come together to celebrate merit, to celebrate greatness. And along those lines, Jake, and I think I know what you're going to say, but I'm going to still ask you one of the things going on in the world of sports right now that you well are aware of who isn't is that women's sports is kind of being encroached upon by uh, transgender women. These are biological men, born men who have decided for whatever reason, they want to compete against women. You know, Title IX was passed so that women could have opportunities to experience competition in college and elsewhere, and that they could have teams of their own. And now you're seeing that encroached upon. So while you may be fine, have trans friends, whatever you support trans people, you may not support this infringement on women's spaces, you know, everyone's talking about safe spaces for people of this or that identity. What about for women where they can compete in a fair environment? And I've seen some men speak out about this. Here's your chance. What, what do you think about all of this? I think it's the, the height of insanity. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that this is normal. I mean, that's that, 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 that to me is what's so bizarre about all this is that people are, are trying to pretend, you know, that something like a truly insane as a, a man pretending to be a woman trying to compete in women's sports, that that is somehow normal. I'm just I'm never going to pretend that that is normal. I'm never going to pretend that that is acceptable. Um, it's, it's just not. And, you know, you can call me whatever name you want to in the book. I just I really don't care. Um, you know, I there's a there's a mean that's you know, going around, uh, you know, it's 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 kind of evergreen, you know, my friends and I and my family send it back and forth, you know, it's, I, you know, I'm not a radical, I'm just a normal person from 20 years ago. Um, you know, and that's, that's kind of the way I feel about a lot of things. Um, you know, I just, I'm not just going to go with the flow in this glacial drift of just truly bizarre and insane, you know, policy decisions and cultural changes. Um, you know, that's just, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a father. I, I don't have any, any daughters, um, you know, but I, I have a lot of friends who, who are, and, you know, a lot of people who are very invested in female sports and it's, it's heartbreaking to see, you know, this happen, but, you know, really it, it, in my mind, just to go to the root of it, you know, you have to, you have to examine the incentives, um, you know, that led us to this position, you know, where we've, we've redefined so many fundamental things about, you know, our society, you know, what it means to, to be a man versus a woman, what it, you know, what, what is a marriage, you know, what, what is a family? And, and when you start breaking those things down, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, put the toothpaste back in the tube, as you said, you can't unring the bell. Um, and all of these things that just, you know, they, they seem to come out of nowhere, 
you know, really in my mind, these are just the inevitable consequences of these societal changes, these fundamental transformations that have taken place over the years. And, and until we are willing to go back and and reexamine those initial changes, um, you know, we're still going to see more of this insanity. But just to just to put a to put a point on it, I, I'm very much against um, you know non biological women, you know, competing in sports that were designed for only biological women. Um, and I'm not going to pretend that kind of a change is normal. Well, let's go back to what you just said: fundamental changes. Um, and you're just a guy from 20 years ago. I'm 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 right there with you, man. I some of these fundamental changes, um, where would you start? And in terms of like, how did this all begin? I think it's been seeping in and taking root in, you know, cinema, in journalism, in academia for decades now. And they finally managed to flower uh, some people who really believe all of this stuff is legit and real and the way it's supposed to be. So if we go back to, as you said, the fundamental, the start of these fundamental changes, you know, where would you want to start if you were a U.S. Senator or Congressman? Ooh, I mean, we could, we could do an entire podcast on, <laughs> on this. I mean, this is, we're, we're talking about serious, uh, seriously deep conversations here. I mean, really like just to, to, to begin, I mean, you have to revisit um, you know, a lot of these Supreme Court decisions that were that were reached, um, you know, not just recently, but, you know, back in the, you know, 70s, 60s, 50s, and even earlier, you know, because a lot of these things were, you know, the intent may have been to, cor you know, to correct, um, you know, systemic, you know, inequalities in our society. But, you know, I think what we've seen is that the, the consequences of those decisions, um, you know, have made things far worse. You know, I mean, you, you could... I mean, like, just not to go too deep down the rabbit hole here, but, um, you know, a lot of things have upended our society. I mean, technological changes, you know, have really upended, you know, the, the fundamental dynamics. You know, it's just, there's a lot of upheaval in our culture, you know, as we've gone from, you know, a, a more, you know, uh, agrarian, you know, agricultural, you know, culture and society where, um, you know, people didn't really venture that far from their their home their entire lives. Um, you know, and it was really easy to have those bonds of community. Um, and now with the, you know, revolutions and in information technology, um, you know, you, you've really enabled people to be a lot more mobile and not really have to have, um, you know, those fundamental connections. Um, you know, it's, it's easier for people, uh, men and women to, you know, to be safe. You know, you don't really have to rely upon, you know, a men or a small group of men for physical protection. Um, you know, again, not to go too deep down the rabbit hole, but like, you know, it's we, we have to start with these. Um, you know, really the, the, these sweeping court decisions that have been made over the past several decades, um, you know, as the late great Anthony Scalia said, um, you know, no societal transformation without representation. Um, and I, I think that that is a, a, a fundamental truth of what's happened over the past, you know, hundred years in America is that we've had societal transformation, uh, mostly by the, the, the judicial system, you know, the federal courts. You know, they've taken these these 50 50 issues where I believe that people should be able to make those decisions at the state and local level. Um, but the federal bench has made these sweeping pronouncements um, that have turned 50 50 issues into 100 to zero issues. Um, and, and to me, that's where you have to start. You know, you have to allow these these red states, these red communities to do things the way they want and these blue states and blue communities 
to do things the way they want. All right. I like to, to wrap up all of my interviews with guests and ask for something hopeful because I, I, I don't know about you, Jake, but I have felt a little less than hopeful in the last couple of years. I had hoped um, that when Joe Biden won, that it, it might be okay. You know, that it, everything might be okay. And it has been so much worse than I ever thought possible under his administration. So I'm searching for hope. And obviously we're about to enter 2024 and maybe there's some hope there. But when you look at your experiences, your future, um, the world, America, where do you find hope right now, Jake? You know, I, I find hope in, in my family and my faith. Um, you know, we're, we're not meant to be fearful of the future. Um, you know, you can, you can look at things with clear eyes, um, and, and understand the challenges that are before us. But, um, you know, as long as I have air in my lungs, you know, I, I'm going to try to make, uh, you know, my small segment of the world, uh, a better place. Um, and, and just, you know, it, things might, you know, get worse in the short term, but, you know, I'm, I'm long-term bullish, optimistic on the, on the future, um, you know, I, I've met so many, I mentioned dur during the campaign, I met so many great young people in Arkansas and across the country, you know, who, who believe the things that we believe, you know, who believe the things um, that, that American, great Americans who came before us believed. And, you know, they're, they're willing to fight for what they believe in. Um, you know, a lot of our problems are generational. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously there's a lot of, you know, not, not so great things in, in the youth in America these days, but I will say just to, to speak for the young people, um, you know, there really are some, some reasons for hope and optimism. Um, and it's, it's going to take time. It's going to take time for us to grow and develop and take our, our places in leadership in our society and our politics. Um, you know, but I have hope for the future because there's some great young people out there who uh, are willing to fight for what they believe in, for what we believe in. Um, and they're going to build something great. I, I, I feel like we might be at a tipping point where people are finding their courage again to stand up and say, you know what, you can call me any name that you like. You can label me any way you want, but I know who I am and I know what I'm not. And I know that I'm on the right side of this issue or that issue. And that what you're trying to do by simply calling me a name is shut me up and it's not going to happen. Uh, on that note, Jake, I, I am so appreciative of your time. And I'd love to do it again. I'm sure I'll run into you along the way somewhere. But he is Jake Beckett. I'm Michelle Tafoya. As always, I say this every every time, be brave and do good. And we will see you next time. See you, Jake. Thanks, Michelle. Take care. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.